Hello, lovelies. Welcome to the Fat Joy Podcast, where we talk each week about how to flourish in an anti-fat world. I'm Sophia, a fat person and professional coach who loves talking to other fat people about what it's like to live within oppressive systems that marginalize our bodies and how we still dare to have the audacity and courage to reach towards our collective liberation and embrace our joy. Please know this is an adult content podcast, so there will be swears, we will be talking about harms we've experienced, and we will be rebelling against diet culture, anti-fatness, ableism, racism, etc. If you'd like to support the Fat Joy podcast and get bonus content as a thank you, please check us out at patreon.com fatjoy. I am so glad you're here with us. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Fat Joy podcast. I'm Sophia, and I'm very excited for my conversation today. Today, we have Goody Howard, who I've been following for a little while. And Goody, I'm not even going to say anything about what you do. I'm just going to turn it over to you and invite you to tell people who you are and what marvelous work do you do in the world. Ah, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> right, none. <laughs> well, I'll start how I introduce myself when I do um, workshops and webinars. So my name is Goody Howard, M-S-W-M-P-H. My pronouns are she, her, and boss, and I don't code switch, and I cuss a little bit. Um, I am your favorite sex educator's favorite sex educator. I do pleasure development, which is uh, I sell pleasure tools, and I sell these fun sex-positive T-shirts, and I teach skill-building workshops around sexual activity. Uh, and then I do professional development. So I do, I walk the walk that DE&I talks for sexuality, orientation, gender, and equity for educators, social workers, and healthcare professionals. And I'm a con- comprehensive sex educator. So if it's about sex, health, and pleasure, I'm in it. I'm on it. I'm familiar with it. If it's not my wheelhouse, I'll point you to somebody who it is. Uh, <laughs> but I love what I do. And uh, my goal is to, you know, connect people to pleasure with confidence and expand folks' understanding of sexuality, orientation, gender, and equity. Amazing. Oh, my God. Goody, that was so beautifully done. I'm like, Thank you. Note to self, develop something like that for me. You can, listen, you have to. You have to because my friends invite me out to like parties and stuff, and they go, Let's, you know, you're standing in a circle with the small talk. And I'm like, okay, what does everyone do? Goody, go first. I'm like, what if I don't do no trick? So you have to have it off the dome. Like, you have to have a pre-recorded situation and it's so beautiful i love like the catchphrases worked in there beautifully thank you thank you you know i speak in sound bites i speak in sound bites it's helpful for people it is it works i mean i'll just say you know one of the reasons i was so drawn to talk to you and i've been following you for a little while is that you you're a first of all first of all i love talking about sex anything taboo i love talking about because we should. Nothing should be taboo, especially sex, especially pleasure, especially the joy of being in our bodies, right? So I'm always interested in sex educators and the work that they're doing and pleasure activism and all that stuff. Um, and you're a fat woman, which also is pretty rare in terms of sex educators because I've watched lot, I follow lots of different pleasure sex educators on YouTube and on Instagram and a lot of them in it's starting to shift a little bit but still a lot of them do not look like me oh honey it's a lot of us the thing is I know you've seen like how like black 
black creators are getting muffled on social media platforms. Fat creators are getting muffled on social media platforms. Sexuality creators are being muffled on sexuality pla- on social media platforms. So you can't even find them if you want them. Correct. So if you're fat, black, and do a sex content, it's a wrap. But I know a lot of us, there are lots of us. We just kind of have to be able to like shake the algorithm up a little bit. I mean, I've been booked by Meta twice to train their employees. And I'm still flagged on their platform. I still can't run ads on, on social media platforms. So, I mean, <laughs> it's, a, it's a living. Yeah, <laughs> so interesting. Well, I mean, I, so I always start the podcast by asking each guest what your relationship is to the word fat. So tell us, well, how does that word show up in your life? Uh, well, you know, I'm a, a fat black girl from the South. So it used to not be good. Um, it used to be a very negative association. It used to be like a bad word. It used to make me cry. It used to be an insult. Um, I saw an Instagram reel that said, you know, where there's fat, there's flavor. So <laughs> uh, that is now a compliment. Um, but just kind of learning that fat is something you have, not so- not someone you are. Like it's not a personality trait. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I've definitely come to a space in my life where I love the body that I have. I, I mean, there, there are definitely some things about my body that I want to change, but not like about my body physically. Like I want to have, uh, I'm working towards some things with my range of motion and everything because I have some injuries. But understanding that essentially my confidence has never been rooted in what I look like. What's it rooted in? It's, it's rooted in my personality, my intelligence, my sense of humor, my sense of style. The fact that you can take me anywhere and I can talk to anybody about anything. That's what I always say, too, about me. <laughs> it is. Because people say, oh, how, where do you get your confidence? And I'm like, if I, was, if I was thin, you wouldn't ask me that. But, you know, um, so once we unpack that, you know, but my relationship with fat, the word fat has definitely changed. I definitely identify as a fat black woman. It definitely was not always that way. It took some very intensive work. Um and part of it was becoming a sexuality professional because word association and applied linguistics are a thing. As a parent, applied linguistics are a thing. Yeah. Say when you say applied linguistics, what do you mean by that? So applied linguistics is the app, the actual application of the words that we use, the intent, the impact, the meaning, the connotation, the denotation. Um, so if I'm saying, if I say fat and I automatically have a negative association with it then it's going to hit me negative but that's my my stuff that's not someone else's stuff even if they mean it as an insult if i don't receive it if it'll land on me that way because that's not my association with that word now it's going to hit different um and then when you talk about like slurs and things like that um i fact has been a slur it used to be a slur to me and i'm like that's all yeah like that's such low-hanging fruit that's such a cheap shot like if you're going to invest in trying to insult me, like dig deeper, boo. Like that's not be clever about it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And so I think that is um, a big part of this. How the association has shifted for me. So now I'm I'm proud to be you know fat. Someone calls me fat or says fat to me. It's not an insult, but it definitely took time. And I know that everyone is not in that place. And so for the people that are like emerging into that place, I'm rooting for you. For the people that are still hurting when they hear that word, I'm rooting for you. Beautiful. 
I'm really curious about how your relationship to the word, because you mentioned it, it got, it evolved as you were becoming a sex educator as well. What was that? What did you notice was happening with how you felt about your body as you were teaching people about their bodies? Um, so I, I tell people all the time, the journey into sex positivity is, is liberation work. I told you when we spoke before, um, freedom is what other people give you. Liberation is what you do for yourself. And in the, in, in the path, in the journey of learning new things and learning new frameworks and understandings and unlearning the toxicity around sexuality and pleasure and orientation and gender and compulsory heteronormativity, I also started to learn about diet culture. I also started to learn about poodle science. I also started to learn about, you know, fat phobia and how it's so innocuous in our society. It's just so pervasive. And I'll never forget it. Sonali Washtwar. I always mess her last name up, but I love Sonali. She is amazing. And she is the fat, the fat sex therapist on Instagram. Yeah, I'll link. And I'm hoping to have her as a guest too. So I'll link to her. They actually have a SAR, a sexual attitude reassessment around fat and sex. But we were at a conference. It was my first time meeting her. And we were at a conference and I was like, oh my God, I love this dress. She Sonali's dress game is done. <laughs> Do you hear me? Done. And I was like, this, this dress, like I need information about this dress. And so she was telling me, and she was like, yeah, because you know, fat women have to have this performative femininity and blah, 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 blah. And I was just like, oh. I, I felt so so seen. And then I said something else. They were eating cake and something like that. And I was like, yeah, I don't need no more cake. And I was like, girl, eat the cake. If you want the cake, eat the cake. And so we went into this whole spiel about, and I was just like, yo. And so it just sort of planted the seed in me. So after that, I, I just started researching everything I find and just starting to unlearn and realizing how I had been kind of socialized to this sort of self-deprecating existence. And it was... It was on. I was floored. And so I definitely credit the sexuality professionals around me with planting the seeds of how anti-fatness and fat phobia are just, you know, innate in how we exist and how it has to be plucked out. And I was just like, oh my God. And so as I started to understand, because my operation and definition of sex positivity is operating in a space around sexuality without shame or stigma. And shame and stigma are the parents of anxiety and depression. Yeah. So just kind of unpacking all like it, it, that's what happened. It was a pebble in the pond. <laughs> and I mean, so that journey, it is still a journey, let's, to be clear, you know, and when you're raising children, having to, you know, children come in for other people's bodies, you have to have those conversations. And, you know, so it was just this entire awakening that I'm so grateful for. And I was literally in my 30s. Yep. I mean, I was the, now I've never been the person that would let my stature stop me from doing something. I was the first plus size cheerleader at my high school, tried out at May Varsity, and my coach was mad. She was pissed. She was like, I'm not ordering a skirt bigger than a 12. <gasps> she said that? Mm -hmm. She also said she didn't want, she said she didn't want no fat, bald-headed cheerleaders. So I've never been bald-headed. But she's, she said she never won no fat ball headed cheerleaders, but she was fat ball headed. Oh. So there's that. Also, I was the first plus size uh, contestant in 
the Miss Black and Gold pageant at my college. Oh, wow. And they asked me to compete. They came to me. I was like, will you do it? Because I was um, their oratorical contest winner. I was their spelling bee champion. They hired me to do spoken word for their events. Like I was already like a brand ambassador for the fraternity. And they asked me to be in the pageant. And there's a swimsuit part. And people were like, ooh, what's she going to do for this? Were you nervous about the swimsuit part? I was, I was, but I designed all my clothes for the pageant. My grandmother made all my clothes. Um, and I had created this hooded, um, sheer cover-up. Because you have to wear your cover-up and then you take your cover-up off and you have to walk down and come back. So I had this hooded, sheer cover-up on. So I had the hood on. I had my hands with little sleeves. I came out. And so as I walked, I took my hands down. I put took the, the hood part off. I got to the end of the runway, took it off and let it drop and just dragged it behind me by the hood. And it was like, get like I'm like, that is hot. <laughs> it, people was oh, like, it was, the, and my swimsuit was actually cute too. So people were just like, I don't know how she's going to do with the swimsuit competition. Listen, wow. Worry about yourself. Right? You showed up. It was, and I, I, I've never let my size or my stature keep me from doing anything. Yeah. Um, and so I think that was a part of it that I didn't realize I had, you know, kind of was already dealing with. But if somebody would call me fat, I would just be like, I would be hurt. I'd be offended. And I'm, I'm just like, bitch, do, do something else. That's oh. <laughs> fat and fly. Don't forget the fly. Fat and fly. <laughs> Is that on a t-shirt? No, I'm, I'm, I've seen it. I'm sure it's on somebody's t-shirts. <laughs> Oh, that's so interesting to hear how how your relationship to your body has shifted throughout the years, especially now, given that you do so much work within bodies. Um, so I'm we we talked. So I'll just I'll share with the group. You and I got on the phone or on Zoom yesterday to just have a quick check in, and I think it was planned for 15 minutes. And we talked for an hour. <laughs> which was so great. Um, and one of the things we talked about was this idea of sensual intelligence and kind of separating sex from pleasure. And I was like, oh my gosh, we have to talk about that because I think this is not how we are indoctrinated, socialized to think about our bodies and about the pleasure our bodies can experience. So can you tell us a little bit about what you mean when you are speaking, giving workshops about sensual intelligence? Okay, so I I have a workshop called Sensual Intelligence, and I call it a soft skills workshop because it's more mindset. So in the in the process of the workshop, we separate sex, sexuality, and sensuality. We draw a line in the sand between the two because oftentimes people conflate pleasure and sex. People conflate sensuality and sexuality. So my definition my working definition of sensuality is experiencing non-sexual pleasure through all six of the senses. So sight, sound, taste, touch, scent, and feel. That sixth sense, that emotional component. Whereas sexuality has to do with topics of sexuality, sexual health, and things like that. Um, and so when you move through the world as a sensual being, experiencing non-sexual pleasure, it makes pleasure in general more accessible to you. A lot of times when we conflate, fl- conflate pleasure and sex, it tends to lean more towards sex becoming a chore. When yeah. you think about pleasure and you define it as sex, it's, oh, I got to shave my legs and make the bed and clean the room and make sure the lube is over there and mm-hmm. make sure the toys are charged up or 
you know, be nice to this motherfucker today. Like, you know. <laughs> Don't do anything that will make us not want to. Yeah. Because then you won't get no sex later. You got to be good all day, you know. Um, and so, like, you got to choose your battles all day now because you're trying to, <laughs> you're trying to set, the, set the scene, you know. Um, <laughs> but when you, when, you, when you define it as non-sexual pleasure, it can be a conversation. It can be, you know, wearing your favorite pajamas. It can be eating your favorite meal, preparing mm-hmm. food for your family. It can be, you know, so many different things and it makes it accessible. It makes pleasure accessible. And you sort of get this intentional gratitude for the little things, right? So not only does it make you a better human being, you become a sensual being. And now when you're a sensual being having a sexual experience, not only you're experiencing sex through all six of those senses, right? And so it's adding layers to your pleasure, which increases your satisfaction with the sex that you're having. But it also makes you more receptive to the more than 18 different kinds of orgasms that the human body has to offer. Which we are absolutely going to talk about because I was like, what? More than 18? Where have I been? How do I not know this? Listen, and a lot of people don't know. And I think that it's also unique and interesting when I tell people, they're like, no way. And then I name them and they go, oh, that, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I want to, I, what I think is so interesting about this idea of sensual intelligence and experiencing the world through our senses is it feels so similar to the principles of living in a mindful way, right? Mindfulness and presence. And it just, it just makes sense that we would want to, I think a lot of people talk about, certainly in my circles, I have a lot of coaches and mindset coaches, mindfulness coaches in my circles. And it's a lot about being present so that we can be unattached, that we can be calm, so that we can surrender, like in terms of living from a place of more grace and peacefulness. But we're not talking about pleasure in those same conversations. So it's so interesting to me to bring pleasure and sensuality into this mindfulness. And I think because when we talk about pleasure, we conflate it with sex. What we're really talking about in mindfulness is being able to connect to non-sexual pleasure with confidence, with certainty, with intention. But we don't want to say pleasure because people hear pleasure and hear sex. The definition of pleasure is experiencing great joy and excitement. Sex ain't even in the definition. Again, applied linguistics. Everything's been linked to sex in this way. Is this connected to oppression? Like, why? I don't know. I I mean, I'm sure it is. But also, pleasure doesn't feel like something that's accessible if you are in survival mode. That's very true. Pleasure feels like Starbucks when you're putting water on your cereal. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not something that people feel like is accessible. But when we dial back and separate pleasure from sex and identify the ways that pleasure is accessible to everyone. It's restorative. It's restorative, yeah. And and, it, and I think it also adds to the mental wellness, right? And so when you're in survival mode, pleasure is not some shit you're thinking about. But because we think of pleasure as self, it's like in line with self-care, this decadent, mani-pedi, massage, and, you know, and candles. And no, self-care is a nap. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So, like, we don't access the low-hanging fruit and the free and the accessible of these concepts. And so when we take sex and take pleasure and sex and disconnect them, it makes pleasure accessible. If we redefine pleasure with one of the words that's in the definition, if we just say joy instead of pleasure, if we say excitement 
instead of pleasure. Then people get it. But if I say pleasure, they're like, oh. Right. Immediately. That's one of the reasons I use the word desire a lot for that same reason. People hear desire and they think, oh, she's talking about sex. I'm like, no, I'm talking about your own needs, your own desire for anything, sunlight on your shoulders, want, and that we get to have that from a non-capitalistic place. I think that's when you were talking, I was like, oh, that's the connection to oppression is by pairing sex with all of these, um, Mm -hmm. sex with pleasure, that's where new age capitalism comes in because then we have to buy self-care. We have to buy all these things when actually we're just innately wired for pleasure. You know, it's a birthright. And I think this is where applied linguistics. Yeah. This is, this is applied linguistics that people think, Oh, goody, you're a sex educator. You're a sexologist. It's all orgasms and dildos and rainbows. And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, what's wrong with that? I'd love that to be my word. I wish it was that, that simple, honestly. I would be it would be great for me, okay? If it was. No. When I talk to aspiring sex educators, the first thing I say is what is your self-care plan? We ain't even talking about different types of orgasms. What is your self-care plan? Because the anti-racist, anti-black, fat phobic, uh uh, uh anti-capitalist, uh, uh uh you got critical race theory. You got like there's so many moving parts that have nothing to do that before you even get to the 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 or actual orgasm, an actual pleasure tool, how sex toys can be assistive tech. Mm-hmm. Before you even get to that, what do you what are your cons? What do you how do you feel about cultural relativism versus ethnocentrism? Well, how does that apply to sex? Ed? Well, what do you think about female genital mutilation? And why don't we just call it clitoral circumcision? Or why don't we call penis circumcision male genital mutilation? Mm. Oh, because brown parts of the world do it. Okay. Oh, I love that that's where you start. You start at that systemic level and then... Yes, and you, and because again, I told you yesterday, I'm a very macro... Yeah, I, I really hear that. We have to understand how those systems play a part in how we move in our little piece of the world. And so... When I ask people, like, for instance, about FGM, and they're like, oh, my God, it's horrible. We should stop it. It's, oh, my God. If that's their cultural decision. Now, I think they should have consent. But if that is their cultural choice, and this is a part of who they are, it's a part of their cultural systems, then what's the problem? The babies with penises don't get to decide if they're circumcised or not in the States. And that was a whole thing uh, inspired by Dr. Kellogg with he thought, you know, masturbation and, and, and sexual deviance would be curbed. <gasps> With circumcision? Is that where that comes from? Yes. That's why graham crackers are plain. He thought a, a mild diet, a bland diet, and circumcision would help uh, curb sexual deviance and masturbation. So graham crackers are the root of anti-masturbation. Oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, Cornflakes are the product of anti-masturbation ideology. So, like, you don't even realize it. Cornflakes are fucking delicious. <laughs> oh, my God. I love the graham crackers. Okay. But now they taste like oppression. So it's just like you can't even enjoy it. You become the fun police. And so you have to have a self-care plan. Yes. I love that that's where you go. It's where you start with them. It's so true. It is because they, they want to, oh, I want to do, I want to talk about the orgasms and I want to do, I want to teach the dick riding classes like you. I want to do. You're teaching a dick riding class, but are you teaching a dick riding class that is accessible for people? 
Yes. Are you like I said when I took when I started my dick riding class when I created it more than ten years ago? I took into consideration the impact on the knees, the back, the range of motion, the size of the people performing the sex act, the size of the penis and or dildo in play. Do you make space for people using dildos or is it just dicks? Is your language gendered? That I was just going to say, and also like their own internalized biases for ability, disability, body size, like that work has to be done if you're actually going to create a safe as possible space. From a harm reduction standpoint, yes. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why I have a master of social work because sex education is social work. And that's why I have a master's of public health because I create interventions that increase positive sexual health outcomes that increase relationship satisfaction, that increase uh, uh, self-positive, you know, personal sexual health, all of it. And so I'm very much the nerd in that way that I'm trying to figure out how I can impact society systemically and wholly. Because mm-hmm. the one-offs, is that's cool. I, I love therapists so much because I admire the fact that they can sit and be secondarily traumatized all day. And then go and live their their normal ass lives. Like I do, I know I can. So I, I operate within my limits and create workshops and programming and curricula and interventions because I know I can't sit when I want people out there and talk about shit. Yeah, yeah, that's so great. It's so great. But people don't think about that. They don't think about. It. They say, "Oh, sex educator, yay, vibrators, woo." <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. And what's beautiful is that. You're do you it's I imagine and I will find out because I think you said you're going to be coming to Toronto at some point and I'm totally taking a rideology class. Um, but I imagine your harm reduction approach, every, like everything is rooted in that. It's rooted in anti-oppression. So even if people don't know that's what they're getting, that's what they're getting, which is great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and then I add there's a Q&A at the end and people always ask questions where I have an opportunity to teach. You know, I had questions of like, oh, I have a, my partner is uncircumcised. And I was like, okay, well, first, uh, let's start with they are intact because that is how the penis naturally occurs. Uh, uncircumcised implies that circumcision is the way to go. Oh, oh my gosh. Why have I never thought of that before? <laughs> You're right. Oh, so first see, we have that. Uh, this is where I get mad though. I'm like, why did we, why do we, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's so it's the science and ho shit because that is how I, I move. I operate with science and ho shit. So that's the science of it, right? And then the ho shit is if you start fucking internationally, there are men that these penises have foreskin. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because that's some shit we do here. When you start fucking globally, if you're trying to get flued out for real, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Y'all swiping left, swiping right out. You know the world is smaller now. You start fucking international, it's gonna be some foreskin in your future. Right. <laughs> So you need to know how to navigate it. I just love, I love, uh, if you want to fuck internationally and there will be some foreskin in your future. There will be. I'm so delighted by that sentence. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, and people are like, what? It's so true. Oh, yeah. It's true. They don't get it. They're like, what? Mm -hmm. Foreskin in your future, boo. It's all all you, you know. So this is, and people don't expect to get that. And they're like, oh, wow. And then they're surprised by it. And then once you know something, you have to decide to be ignorant after that. Yes. So it's like they're taking it and then they're going, God, did you know? Da, 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 da. I, today I learned. Da, 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 da. And that's how you're making those ripples of change. Exactly. Correct. 
Oh, so orgasms. Okay. You told me yesterday that there are more than 18 types of orgasms. And I went, what? I don't, I don't, I don't understand. How do I not know this? Tell us, please, Goody. (laughs) Okay, so there are three different kinds of orgasms. There are orgasms for people with penises, orgasms for people with vulvas, and orgasms that are universal, which means people with penises or vulvas can have them, right? Um, And so the way I teach the, I do teach a workshop called The Big O, where we talk about 15 of those orgasms and how to access them with them without a partner. So I start with the universal ones, then I do the the, uh, vulva-only ones, and then I do the penis-only ones because the global conversation around pleasure is penis-shaped. So I prioritize it last. Um, So I will tell you the universal ones first. Yeah. The nipple orgasm, skin-gasm, anal, oral, U-spot, erogenous zone, and corgasm. Those are all universal. Now, the corgasm has also been called a tantric orgasm, breathgasm, um, because it is very much in those central core abdominal muscles. That's where it kind of originates. And when I want you to think about an orgasm. It's like, let's say orgasm is a Walmart. And, you know, Walmart has lots of different doors to get into the store. You can come in through the garden. You can come in through automotive. You can come in through the front. So think about if orgasm is a Walmart, these different kinds of orgasms are different doors into the store. Okay. So, so let's just take nipple orgasm for a second. What you're saying is, so in my mind, when you said one of the types of orgasm is nipple orgasm, does that mean only nipple stimulation and that's what leads to orgasm or that's just a part of? It's primarily because it's in the arousal cycle, right? So in, when you're becoming aroused. So a nipple orgasm is unique because the nipples are attached to the same part of the brain as the genitals. Oh. Science and hell shit. So um, <laughs> the, uh, that's going to be a t-shirt. That's actually the name of the book that I'm working on. And, and uh, I own scienceandhellshit.com. There's nothing on it. Um, but I was just by the URL for my stuff. Um, and so, it's, but it's primarily nipple stimulation. So it can be nipple clamps. It could be electrodes. It can be, you know, a, a partner's tongue on the nipples. And it's beautiful because we all have nipples. Mm-hmm. You know, outside of medical, you know, condition. And so um, that's why I start with those. So then we will go to the ones that are uh, vaginal vulva only. So it's vaginal orgasm, birthgasm, G-spot, squirting, clitoral, and A-spot. Okay, you've mentioned two spots that I've never heard of before now. Well, we'll talk about the spots in a minute because there's some more coming. Oh my God. Okay. Now, the the, uh, the G-spot and the squirting orgasm are separate, and I want to make that clear. A G-spot orgasm is when the G-spot is stimulated and it's a very like strong and powerful sensation. It, now, squirting orgasm can, uh, can happen with a G-spot orgasm, typically, but a G-spot orgasm can happen without a squirting. Yes. Okay, got it. Yep. Okay. So then the last ones are the penis ones, the penis-centered orgasms, or the people with penis-centered orgasms. Uh, The P-spot, prostate, frenulum, pelvic, and that's it. Wow. Because the rest of them are universal. Yeah. The spots I mentioned were the G-spot, U-spot, A-spot, and P-spot. Yes. I don't know U and A, and I assume P means 
No, actually, I probably don't know what P is either. I shouldn't <laughs> So, <laughs> you, you, uh, the G spot, of course, is the G spot is two inches in and up. And look at my fingers. You put your fingers in two inches, you put your fingerprint on the G spot, not your fingertip. This is not what we're doing. This is this. Oh, yes. You can even do one of these, right? But you put your fingerprint on the G spot, not your fingertip. People get that wrong all the time. Yeah. And I'm just going to say for people, um, listening, not seeing this, you were kind of gently undulating your fingers, like just gently vibrating. Yeah. Your finger, your fingerprints. That's the G spot. The U spot, there is a, a small ring of nerve endings around the urethra. Around the urethra on the outside. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm, it's just subdermal. So it's right under the, so like you think, think about it like this. When you got a pee river real bad and you finally get in there and you're like, whoo. Oh, it's great. Yeah. That is the, the beginnings of a U-spot orgasm. So typically a U-spot orgasm is a blended orgasm because it accompanies a sporting orgasm or an ejaculate, ejaculate orgasm. Right. Now when it comes to edging and all of those types of things, you can definitely experience a U-spot orgasm without actual ejaculation or without product you know, a productive orgasm, but that's a whole nother ballgame. Um, and then a spot, a spot is the interior fornix of the cervix. So it's the, if you're looking down the vaginal canal, yeah, it's going to be at the, at the front, at the bottom. Oh, so it's a very emotional orgasm. So if you've ever felt like you were going to cry or you want to tell this person you love them, even though you're not sure, but you just felt it in the moment, that's an A-spot orgasm. The A-spot orgasm will get you control. <laughs> when you say you love somebody and you now you got to say it forever now because you've been saying it already and you can't be like, well, I was really talking to your body, not your... And is that through physical stimulation or is that more of an emotional... Oh, it's very physical. It's okay. very much physical. So if it's a dick or a dildo, you know, or the dick or a cell, do- cell phone or a cell phone or sex toy, <laughs> I mean, you could, yeah. I mean, anything's a dildo if you're brave enough. Mm-hmm. Put a put a condom on it. That's all I said. You can put a condom on it. Try it. See what happens. I, I said I want to um, get a remote control. I put a condom on it and see if I can change the channel on Kegel muscles. Oh, like I've always wanted to try. That's that. interesting. Yes, it's, it's on my bucket list. Um, <laughs> I love. That. I mean, random, random. Yeah, but, yeah. And so then the P spot is the prostate so that's the internal oh yes um it's the, the it's, it's called the male g-spot but it's very gendered to me so it's, it's if you have a penis mm-hmm. it's a you know penis person's g-spot and so it's in the anus it's two inches in and down yeah okay and so that is the t-spot which is very sensitive chock full of nerve endings yeah i've heard it's an amazing orgasmic experience Sometimes I wish I had like a penis for like 24 hours. I have always wished that too. I just want to see what it's like to have sex with a penis. Totally, totally. Only, but only if I could have sex with myself. Oh. If I was, if I had a penis for 24 hours. Yeah. But I wasn't me. So then I could come have sex with me. Oh, I totally get that. Because I want to know what all the fuss is about. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I want it. it. I want to see, but it's not gonna happen. So, yeah. but yeah. So those are the those are the the spots: the G spot, A spot, U spot, P spot. And we're always learning more and more about the human body. Science has not caught up with whole shit. Um, there are only like two or three medical books that even include the clitoris. 
I know that's shocking. That's shocking still. And, and one of the doctor, one of the sexologists that, that's at the forefront of that is a she's a very problematic lady, but she's getting good work done. <laughs> that's all I can say. Like you know, sometimes people are you know not great. People do great work sometimes, so <laughs> you have to reconcile that. But um, and even with medical science, you know, I'm very leery of that anyway because of the medicalization of fat, and uh, you know. So there's that, right? But so we all know that medical science is, you know, hit or miss. But it's just interesting to know that pleasure is not included in that. Uh, sexual pleasure is sexual health, and sexual health is public health. And if we can reconcile that, people will be better off. But the medical world doesn't even accept that the BMI is not real. I know. So how are we going to get to clitoral pleasure? <laughs> like, just... Because the BMI was created to measure population size and male european correct a specific type of human but a population of them not an individual yeah and it's like it doesn't take into consideration muscle mass it doesn't take into consideration so many things and so i'm just like i'm not gonna do this with y'all because according to the bmi i should be walking around with a, a, a oxygen tank and bedridden and all of the things. And it's just like, child, I can run around the block right now. Mm -hmm. I got skinny friends that can't run around the block. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes to all that. Actually, um, this season I've spoken with um, an, three different guests talking about the medical challenges. And it's just, I imagine very similar uh, feeling to the sex educators have. These doctors, these educators, one person's a med school student. Are, it just, the sheer frustration with almost what feels like a commitment to getting it wrong. Well, it's because they've been trained. The system is not broken. It's doing what it's supposed to do. So if this is what your training looked like. Well, even after they know, though, even after they know. Yeah, because it's an unlearning. It's a commitment to ignorance. There's an unlearning and that cognitive dissonance kicks in hard because if you learn something that that highlights the fact that your a lot of your training was inaccurate. Yeah. You have to reckon with that. And you have to reckon with that. And a lot of, especially like doctors and stuff, that's not a, a role for them. That's an identity for a lot of them. So now a piece of my identity is rooted in inaccuracy and oppression and white supremacy and anti-fat. And I mean, ah, you know, so, you know, I don't want to do it. You're not doing that, you know? So it's, it's, and it happens and there's layers. So like, if I go to the doctor for a sore throat, they're going to tell me about my weight. And I'm like, but I can't get me for a sore throat. So anytime I get, um, I still haven't found, a, I, still, I don't have a primary care physician. I'm still on the hunt. So when I go in and talk to a new one and they give me some advice and I'm like, well, what would you tell if I, if I weighed a hundred pounds less, what would you tell me? Yeah. That's a great question to use. Yeah. Because the fuck, you know? And so it's always a matter of having to do this dance with people and understanding that the body that I have is still healthy. I don't have a lot of comorbidities that you think I have or you think I should have or any of that. And so, and then there's also people, there's, there's a whole medical school of thought that the more melanin you have, you experience pain differently. Oh, I've heard this. Yes. And that's still a thing. Oh. It's still a thing. There are white coats right now. I did a training for Johns Hopkins and there's a, there's, there are white coats right now that think that melanated people experience pain here. They think melanin it impacts skin density. Oh my gosh. Still. 
So if I'm fat and I'm black, like I got layers to protect my muscles. I have subcutaneous fat to protect me. And I have this thick ass melanated skin. So I definitely don't experience pain in the same Right. And that impacts how they would treat you. Medications they would give you care they would take with your body. Yeah, it's brutal. It's brutal. Um, I am really curious, Goody, with all these different types of orgasms. Is it, are there differences for fat bodies? Speaking of like fat bodies versus non-fat well, bodies? Uh, yes, but only positive points. Oh, please. I want to hear about that. <laughs> when you have a bigger body, you have more circulation. You have more blood volume. Oh, right. Arousal is blood flow. So because you, by definition, have more blood in your body, when the arousal happens and the blood goes to the nipples and the eyes and the pupils dilate and the genitals and all of these different places, you have the capacity for a stronger orgasm. You have the capacity for more pleasure, like your nerve endings are more sensitive. So you actually have a benefit when it comes to having a better body um, and pleasure specifically. Now, there are some challenges that some people may have, but I think it is independent of weight um, because we have more sedentary lives now. So when you're sitting, if you're working from home or you sit at a desk all day, you're sitting on your genitals all day, um, you're restricting the blood flow to your genitals. I've never thought of that before. I'm sitting on my genitals all day. That's so... That, but that's what you're doing. Oh, such a strange thought. <laughs> and so when you sit on your genitals all day, you're restricting blood flow. Um, and so when you have more weight on your body, depending on how you carry your weight, that also can impact how the blood flow to the genitals is restricted when you're sitting. Oh, so kind of getting up, moving around. Yes, a standing desk, um, you know, a yoga ball. A, I see a little treadmill desk. I kind of want one, but I don't know if I can walk and type at the same time. Yeah, that's been my hesitation too. I think it's one of those things I think I'd spend $1,000 on, use three times, and then be like, no. And I would be pissed. I hate wasting money. I hate wasting money. But like, also don't skip leg day. You know, people think that fat people don't exercise. I exercise not to lose weight. I exercise because I love how it makes me feel. I feel powerful and strong and and flexible and regal. And like, and so, and I'm, I'm thanking my body for moving me through the world. And so leg day, right, helps get those muscles below the waist moving, which helps improve circulation below the waist which helps when you're sitting on top of your genitals. Right. Yeah. I, that's, it's so interesting. I, I think you mentioned, I don't know, do you offer it or was it someone offers like a, an opening workshop? Was that you or was that? So it's Jessamine Stanley. Oh, that's Jessamine's, right. Yeah. So when I teach rideology and you get like the replay or the little resources and stuff that I send out after the fact, I have a link to Jessamine Stanley's hip opening routine. Because she's a plus size, she's a fat yoga instructor. I think it's 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 empowering, it's affirming, but also for the straight size folks to see that everyone can do it to help them with their unlearning process and their and their biases, right? And the, the hip opening it again helps with circulation, it helps with blood flow, and arousal is blood flow. So on top of being properly hydrated, meaning drinking half your body weight ounces in water a day. Half your body weight ounces in water a day. Okay. Now that can be a lot. So, so here's the thing. I, I tell people up to 400 pounds. So if you weigh 400 pounds, 200 ounces is all you go like. How many cups is that? It's 25 cups of water. Wow. But cups is only like a cup is like this much. This, what is this? 
This is 20 ounces right here. Yeah, I just got a big one. And I think this is 32. Yeah. So, I mean, it's easy when you think about it like that. Also, for people with vulvas and vaginas, if you want to be a squirter, mm. you can't squirt Starbucks. <laughs> you can't squirt It'd be great Starbucks. if you could. Goody, I can't handle these things that you have. <laughs> you can't squirt. I mean, I feel like Starbucks needs to uh, incorporate that. <laughs> I mean, I love, I love me a good, you know, mango refresher, but. Is it the, is it cause it's the, like caffeine from coffee or like what, what's the. So caffeine dries you out, sugar dries you out, alcohol dries you out. Okay. All the fun stuff. So what happens is when you drink something that's not water, you need to offset that with the same amount of water. Got it. Because if you drink, let's say I weigh, I weigh 275. So I drink 140 ounces of water a day. Yeah. If I have a Starbucks and I can't do the big ones cause I can't do sweets like that. I get the little. I don't even know the language. They get the little one. That's like 16 ounces. So if I get a 16 ounce mango refresher, that means I got to drink 16 ounces of water in addition to my 140 ounces of water. Oh, I see. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Because that it's not the same now because my water intake is different. Also, I have hypertension. And so I take amlodipine. Amlodipine is a, uh, it helps you retain water. Oh. So I also have to take a diuretic. Which would counteract all the water that you're drinking. Right. Oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? So we don't understand how our medicines interact with our bodies because blood pressure is your your blood vessels are like restricted. They're constricted. And so the pressure with which your blood has to move through those constricted blood vessels is high. So to relax the blood pressure, to lower it, you have to dilate those blood vessels, which means they need to be hydrated. So you retain water to dilate the blood vessels. But then you retain too much water and you get bloated and puffy. So then the hydrochloride comes in and helps you shed the excess water from your body. So it's really hard to stay properly hydrated. Yeah, if you're being forced to shed the water. If you're doing both, right? I get IV hydrations uh, every other month because you can pay for that with your FSA. Interesting. And I love it because you can't drink that much water. You know, IV hydration is 100% absorbed by the body. I didn't. I've never even heard of that before. My God, y'all have Groupon in Canada. Group. Oh yes, we do. Get on Groupon and type in IV hydration. You can find one for about fifty bucks. So just try it out. You will love how you feel. You'll sleep better. Your vision will improve. Your food will taste different. You'll have a little more wiggle to your jiggle. <laughs> it helped that thing be thangin'. Do you hear me? Because you are properly hydrated. So when you're aroused, your wetness is sweater. If you have a penis, erection quality improves. Because if you have a penis, you know, sometimes it's a pickle, sometimes it's a pipe. <laughs> <laughs> yes, true. <laughs> okay. And so when you're properly hydrated, it's more pipe life. <laughs> yeah. So like there are so many benefits to it, right? And I get the little, I get the little vitamins put in it. So I get the Myers cocktails, like the B, B vitamins and all the things. And I get a, I, I call it a pretty pump, a pretty pump, but it's like a, it's for hair, skin and nails. And so now my IV lady calls it the pretty pump. I don't know what it's really called, but, and she pumps that in too. And so it's like hair, skin and nails. So that's why, you know, oh, I get to. So good. Like these are my fingernails. I just have acrylic on top of them. You know, and I have, my hair is really, that's why my braids are so long because my hair is really long. Mm. And, you know, I don't wear makeup. Yeah. Oh. I have tattooed eyebrows. 
<laughs> and I wear lipstick and that's it. Ah, it's so, I love what you're, you're kind of expanding in my mind here around that this idea of being connected to our pleasure is not just like booking a date night with my partner so we can get it on. It's actually like whole life wellness connected in a much bigger way than I think I've really thought about it before. Mm -hmm. Expanding your understanding of sexuality, orientation and pleasure. As, and Cause I'm just noticing as you're talking, I'm like, I do keep it separate. But when I, cause when I think about, I'm going to drink more water, I'm not thinking so that I can have a great squirting orgasm. I'm actually thinking, oh, just cause I should just, I know it's good for my body, but I actually love the idea of bringing in those details of why I want to do this. Well, here's another. So when you're properly hydrated, like again, not only do your, your vision improves because your eyes are wet, right? Um, your food tastes different because your mouth actually has saliva to process and all of that. Your sleep is improved. You get more focus and clarity because a dehydrated brain functions as a depressed brain. So it improves your, your mental wellness, it improves your outlook. Um, it helps again with your sexual function and pleasure. But also it makes your orgasms stronger because orgasms are muscle contractions. Right. And when your muscles are properly hydrated, they're functioning at peak levels. So properly hydrated muscles contract stronger than regularly hydrated muscles. I mean, I like that. If this is your regular orgasm, it's like a three, a five. Let's say your regular orgasm is a five. That thing could be an eight <laughs> or a ten. I'm not saying that the sex that you're having and the pleasure that you're having now is wet. I'm saying if you enjoy what you're doing now, drink some more water and see how you do. I mean, that's amazing. That's amazing. I feel like this goes really well into what I also wanted to talk about, which was this idea of practice how you play. Mm -hmm. Yes. Can you tell us a little more about that? Well, practicing how you play, I, I talk about this for um, like self-pleasure for my workshops and stuff, because like I'm a very uh, hands-on, applicable, tactile educator. I did not realize that this was my reputation in the field, but I am the actionable item educator. I'm the one that's going to give you homework. You're going to be able to apply this shit, right? Um, and you practice how you play. So, yeah, and I'm also an athlete. So, I'm a cheerleader. So, in Texas specifically, cheerleading is a sport. There was no off-season. We cheered at boys' and girls' sports. We were caddies for the golf team. I mean, we were at chess matches dressed alike. Like, it was not a game. Really? Wow. Yes. So, like, schools hated to be, like, they had to play chess against us because they, they, they knew they'd have to send their cheerleaders. Because <laughs> our team has cheerleaders. And just mentally, you work better when you got you. Anybody at the girls' volleyball game cheerleading? We were. That's so good. You know? So, I'm an athlete by nature. So, you practice how you play. There was no abbreviation. Go full out. And so, when it comes to uh, self-pleasure, when it comes to masturbation, when it comes to the way you oil your, the way you put your, your lotion and your, your oil on, you know, when it's, I know y'all have like snow and stuff in Canada. We do. I live in Texas <laughs> on purpose. Um, <laughs> so, but like you need to lotion first and then put oil on to seal in that moisture. But even the way you touch and apply your own body products, right? All of that kind of informs the way you like to be touched. Oh, that's so true. I'm just thinking about that as opposed to just like, you know, just get... Just smathering it on. Like a chore. Like I just got to get through it. It's utility, right? Mm -hmm. And so you don't want to make it a utility 
effort. You want to practice how you play. And so adding things that feel better. Adding like, why do you, why do you use the toothpaste you use? Do you use it because it tastes good or you use it because that's what your mama bought? That's what your grandmother bought? That's what y'all buy. Why do you choose the deodorant you use? Why do you use the soap that you use? Thinking about those things, right? And actually incorporating daily pleasure practices, non-sexual pleasure practices into your life. And that's, that's the, the practice, how you play. Like even when I teach like rhinology, you're going, if it's live, if it's an in-person, I tell people in the ticket purchase, listen, you're going to be partnering up. You're going to make some new friends today because I want you to feel how it feels in your body to get on top of somebody and do this position. And then you're going to switch and be on the bottom so you know how your partner feels. So you know you're not hurting them. So you know, you know. And so even like with, my, with the, with the blowjob class, it's called Lick. It's a place workshop. You get a dildo. You know, and I have guys like, okay, men come to lit. Yeah, if you're trying to suck some dick. <laughs> Can men come to biology? If you are writing dick, you are welcome. Yes. Uh, I'm not teaching orientation. I'm teaching a sexual act. And it could be dick or dildo, right? It could be dick or dildo. Yeah. So like, like listen, you're going to have to work it out. You know, in the lit workshop, everybody get the same dildo. They get the same, it's the same make model. They may be different colors, but they're all the same one. And so I got a set. I teach with a seven and a half inch penis, and it's a little bit bigger than average. But I don't want to. You know, oh, I can do this, and they choke. They, oh, I can, I can. You know, why you didn't give us bigger ones? I'm not going to give you a nine inch dick. If I teach you how to drive an Escalade, and you got a Corolla at home, <laughs> you're not going to know what to do with that. Right, right. So we're going to be a little bit above average and call it a day. Yeah. Everybody want to be a throat go. Just relax. You know. But we practice how we play. I make sure that. It's very applicable and hands-on. And I try to teach in all the ways that people learn. I am an audio, visual, and tactile educator. Incredible. Do you have, do you do classes specifically for fat bodies? Or do you just design with all bodies in mind? How do you do that? It's just built in. I mean, I have a fat body, so if I can do it, you know. And if at such time, you know, the way my health is going down, my weight is probably going to go down too. But um, I'm never really skinny, you know, but I take, um, I take all of those things into consideration. So mm-hmm. it's, I'm mindful when I'm creating the workshops of the accessibility of it. Um, and I take all of that into consideration. Like people ask about, well, is there a queer version of rideology? And I'm like, I teach you how to ride dick with your vagina, your, your anus, or caress two vulvas together. It don't get no more queer than that. Like, I, it's not, it's the sexual acts. There's no such thing as gay sex. There's no such thing as queer sex. Queer and gay sex is the people that's having the sex, not the sexual act itself. And I'm always talking about the use of dildos and sex toys and strap-ons and things like that. And so even like down to unridology, there are a couple of different kinds of strap-on, right? So there's an internal strap-on where a short part is inserted into the wearer. And then there's a long part that you actually have sex with the other person. Oh, right. And I tell people, this position, if you're using an insertable dildo, this position ain't for you because it's going to be painful for the wearer as you angle the dick down. Like I'm thinking about that. I make it clear. So when people ask me, is there a queer version? I'm like, ain't no straight version. So ain't no queer version. This is a inclusive version. And I'm a queer person. So people think because my partner is a man, you know, because I have biological children, and queer people can have biological children. I actually had someone tell me that because my, I'm married to a man and I have biological children, they didn't think I was queer. And I was like, you know, queer people can have babies, right? Oh. 
Yeah. Like you sound crazy right now. And so I think that what people understand, and it's queer people asking me these queer versions of these workshops. And I'm like, you do you understand that this is I'm telling you, I teach you how to ride dick with your anus, your vagina, and caress two vulvas together. Mm-hmm. Where would you be caressing two vulvas together if not with two people with vulvas? Where would you you know what I'm saying? And and as far as like, you know, butt sex, everyone has a butt. Mm-hmm. So you know and when I say it they get it but they're so used to having to ask I was going to say I think yeah it feels like it's coming from that place of I always need to find out if this will work for me because so much isn't designed with queer people in mind right so correct or fat people or any right I get where that's coming from Um, with your classes with rideology I'm so curious when it comes to fat bodies are there just kind of similar to like the um the orgasm question are there i don't know like are there things that fat bodies can do differently when it comes to different sex positions do you have things that you recommend i don't know what i'm asking i'm just wondering if there is like how do fat bodies play into all of this depending on and it's not even really fat bodies it's like maybe you don't have the wrist strength right or a knee injury or something yeah and the knee injury I, look, again i have a bad knee so i you don't the knees is not a problem for this guy you don't need knees to ride ride dick in this class okay i need to learn that <laughs> listen it's a game changer and i ask people i say raise your hand if you ever ride dick the way you rode dick before you got like is you know what i'm saying like raise your hand if you learn something kind of thing and um with with fat bodies Sometimes people think, oh, well, you know, my husband or, you know, my partner has a big stomach. I have a big stomach. You know, there are, I have positions that are specifically for bigger bellies. If you're pregnant, if you have a pregnant body, because, you know, you're still trying to fuck pregnant. That's how you got pregnant. Um, so, like, I make, I make note, hey, if you have a bigger belly, this position is going to work better for you. Right. If your partner has a bigger belly, this position is going to work better for you. Um, if your partner has a penis that is, you know, less than five inches or you know whatever if he has a, his belly may detract away from the penis like you can't get to all the dick because the belly's in the way listen this, this position works great for that the, you know we talk about those, those things and so it, i think it just builds confidence in a way because you get this formal instruction and this formal information technical information about how mm-hmm. to have more pleasurable sex with the body that you have and you're stripping away the shame. Like it's it's so, you know, even those scenarios you just said, like my partner has a big belly, I have a big belly, or I, you know, all, all those things you just said, like usually there's so much shame and embarrassment that go with that question. And what I'm hearing is you just talk about it because it's just biology. It's, there's kind of, you kind of neutralize and just say, well, here's what will work for you. I love that focus. I, I've gotten the questions so often. Yeah. But I just add it to the presentation. You don't even have to ask. And I think that helps people too, because they feel seen, they feel heard. They feel like the reason I create the workshops that I create is because people ask for them. If I get the same question over and over and over and over and over, my public health brain goes, I need an intervention for this. Right? That's why I have the big O's. People ask, well, how many orgasms are there? How do I get that kind of orgasm? How do I get, you know, I don't have no partner. How do I get that kind of, listen, this is how, uh, rideology. I get, oh, I'm a big girl. I don't know if I can get 
Right, I'll just think. I get blowjob questions all the time. I get pussy eating questions all the time. Mm-hmm. I get, you know, how can I stay present in sex? That's where sensual intelligence came from. Yeah. You know, like, I don't have a butt stuff workshop yet. I've been getting lots of butt stuff questions. Oh, interesting. Um, so I'm actually calling in some other sex educators that actually are um, butt aficionados. Nice, yes. To, like, do some research so that I have, the and, like, you know, present it in the way that I present, but do some real research on the thing because I try to make sure that people have the information they need for success. Right. But I'm working on that kind of stuff. Like I have an intro to kink workshop. It's called Everyday Kink. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I did a, a Instagram, TikTok, you know, social media video about the difference between a kink and a fetish because people don't know the difference. I'm really curious about this whole idea of fat fetishes. Oh my gosh. Yes. And so, and fat fetish shows up in a lot of different ways. So fat fetish shows up because they like the skin and the softness and the jiggle and the like the turgor in the skin so there's that but then there's also like you know the food the splooshing and they want to see like the the you know the food being splashed on the body and the you know all, all of that so there's it's and it's not um it's not unseemly you know fetishes fetishization is also can be dehumanizing because so a fetish is a sexual attraction to an inanimate object. A kink is a sexual behavior. Right. So a fat girl fetish, fat person fetish, it centralizes the fat, not the person. Yeah. That's where I always get really uncomfortable. Yeah. So it centralizes the inanimate object of fat instead of the person that the fat is connected to. Um, So it just depends on where you are in your pleasure journey, if you know what it is and you're good with it, that's one thing. Uh, it's a great way to make money. For my fat sex workers out here. Yes. Only fans, anyone? You know, there's uh, a fetish, I forgot the name of it. It's like, I want to say it's vorism, where it's the idea of being eaten. Oh, I've never heard of that before. The idea of being eaten, like physically consumed. Like, like you have like a little jelly, um, like, you know, a little jello jiggler cut out me and you're talking shit to him. You're humiliating him and you eat him. Oh, interesting. People pay for that. So if there's a market for it, if there's a fetish for it, there's a market for it. So all of my fat folks, if you are in the part of your journey with your pleasure where you're okay with being fetish songs, get you an OnlyFans if you're a sex worker. Also, there's a great site called Make Love Not Porn. Have you heard of that? And yeah, I know a number. I I heard a, a really amazing interview with the creator of it. And yeah, and it's membership based. You get paid for loading stuff. I know actually a few people who post um, videos. I have a, um, there's a membership side to my site, com that I'm building out right there. And so that will be where, now I don't, don't do sex work, um, but I have things that I can't post on social media because they get taken down. Um, and, and the ways that I want to teach and show people things that would not be uh, allowed on social media. And so I will have that back end for people. But I think it's, it makes more sense to just monetize your own content on the membership side of your site. Well, now they've, they've, it's, it's easy to do now. Yeah. Yeah. Wix, Wix is a hell of a drug. If you have Wix.com, you can host your website there, build out your membership site. Um, if you have the premium version of Wix, it already comes with it. 
Mm, that's great. I'm going to include a link to OnlyFans and Make Love Not Porn in the show notes as well, just in case people want to check it out. I don't know how ethical or anti-capitalist uh, OnlyFans is. I, I will say that. Yeah, I yeah, I would agree. I would have, uh, yes. <laughs> Whereas. But the thing is also, if you're trying to make money, you got to go where people are familiar. Sometimes you got to play the game to, you know. It's true. And so you, if you, you can maybe direct people to a different platform if you like from there. But a lot of times, places like OF have built-in search engines. So if they're looking for you, they can find you there and you can maybe redirect them into something else. But sometimes you got to, you know, take down the monster from the inside. Yeah, true. Yeah, so good. I'm glad we talked about fat fetish as well because it it's something that I've, um, yeah, definitely experienced when I was dating. And then um, just, yeah, have always thought about the as a fat person, like what it's like to be fetishized and also like, where's that line? Not for the other person, but for me, like, what am I comfortable with? What matters to me? What doesn't, yeah, it's just, it's very. How, how comfortable are you with the fact that this person is sexually attracted to your fat, not you necessarily? Yeah, it's a very, it's really a mind fuck. Like I found, I was like, what's happening? How do I, how do I even like be with this? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. And then depending on where you are in your journey with yourself, you may feel like this is all you can get. You may feel like this is the best you can do. Right. And so you accept it. Right. And it's so unfortunate. And I know, you know, like I said, it depends on where you are in your pleasure journey because you may know what it is and be cool with it because you're fetishizing them too. Or, or it's part of, yeah, it's like, it can, I also, I was going to say it could also be, yeah, a kink. And like, I've thought about that from, from like an empowered place versus a, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it may be a kink for you and a fetish for them. And that's like, uh, what's that, that problematic ass nursery rhyme? Um, Jack Spratt can eat no fat. His wife can eat no lean. So between the both, you see, they clean the platter clean. <laughs> I've not heard that before. So it's awful and awesome simultaneously because it's fucked up, but it works for them. So the yin and the yang of that would be, okay, I have a fat fetish, but I have a body worship kink. And so you're giving me what I need and I'm giving you what you need. And, you know, if no one's being harmed in the situation, let's roll with it. Yeah. I just, I love that we're having this kind of conversation so boldly, so truthfully. It's straightforward. It's upfront. It reminds me of, um, did you watch that Netflix show, How to Build, I think it was like How to Build a Sex Room or? Uh-huh. When HGTV and Real Sex have a baby. Yes. Yes. Right. And it just, I remember what I watched. I think I watched all episodes like, like in a day or something because I was like, so amazed that these very frank, open conversations were happening in what is normally what always feels to me very, either kind of very Puritan, <laughs> kind of white supremacy, let's lock away all pleasure and sex society, or the extreme opposite, which is all about privileging penis pleasure. And, you know, it, it just, I, I'm, it's nice to be able to just talk about it openly, not with shame, not with an embarrassment. I can just imagine coming to one of your workshops, Goody, and again, I'm really hoping to when you come to Toronto. It's just so open. What makes me happy is like, I, I tell you, I have never had a live workshop where someone did not cry. Of course. I mean, it'd be such to be seen, to be in a place where that's safe this way. It is a beautiful thing for me because I feel like this is, you know, on life's timeline, right? You have those big blips 
and you have those little blips. I feel like in this moment, this is someone's big blip on their lifeline. Like in their biopic, this may be a scene. I may make the movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so it's, it, it, it is initially when it first started, like when it first started happening, I didn't know what to do with it, to be honest. Yeah. But I really, I see it as a privilege. I don't take it for granted. I'm just very humbled and, and grateful that people allow me into this part of their lives. Yeah. Uh, I really think that the universe has gifted me with the type of energy that people are receptive to. Mm -hmm. And you can hold, you can hold, I can, I mean, I can just tell like you, you're able to hold big open spaces for people to find themselves in and they know that you're providing that safe container. And so that's where they can let go. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. Uh, I am very much a life student um, like with the, with the anti-capitalist and, and all of that, like I may or may not, I'm not a capitalist, but I like money. And I think that there's a, there's a, people have this sort of thing where they feel like, you know, wealth is a bad thing and that you can't ethically earn wealth or that you can't ethically, like I have a friend that she says all billionaires are corrupt. And I was like, well, at this point, yes, I'm sure they are, but I can think in my business brain, my bachelor's is in business. I can think of ethical ways I can make a billion dollars. And that's why people, they conflate economics with ca capitalism. And it, they're actually totally separate. They're completely different. Capitalism is when you're taking advantage of and manipulating and being predatory and all of those things. Um, economics is different. Yeah. And so I de definitely, and I feel like equity is a thing too. Like I charge um, my workshops like Rideology is $75. Uh, early bird registration, $100 late registration, and you get a free sex toy. That's super accessible. I it, it may, And it may not be for everyone, but I also have payment arrangements. My booking fee, like if you want to book me to just do like a rideology for you and your friends, you can book me to do a rideology for you and your, like 20 of your friends for $500. And for 500 bucks, I have, there are payment plans that you can do 500 bucks on. That's great, yeah. I took a really great, workshop that was centered around the, the the labeling of it it was like feminist business practices basically how to have which is which is basically one of the core tenets was this idea of look if the feminist is not thriving then the business can't thrive so that's where you kind of let go of that that whole piece around well to be empty capitalist i can't believe in wealth or be thriving but also that piece around, it's also thinking through how to make things accessible to people, how to meet people where they are. And I just, I loved that ethos coming in to thinking about it. That's when I'd say anti-capitalist, that's often what I'm meaning is like. Right, right. And a lot of people conflate it, just like with feminism, you know, and people say, oh, we well, you know feminists hate men. Eh, no, they don't. They just hold men accountable. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. Um, and I personally say I'm a womanist only because feminism didn't really include black women. So there's that, right? What people, you know what I'm saying? It's a thing. So I'll say black feminist or I'll say womanist, but I mean, it's the same situation, right? Um, and so I get all of those things. And then I also learned, because I'm very much about community, mm -hmm. you reinvest in the community from your overflow, not from what's in the cup, because that's what you need for, for your cup, right? To put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put the oxygen mask on the person next to you. If I give you some of the oxygen out of my mask, then I don't have all the oxygen I need to be able to do the, you know. And so that is a mind shift in and of itself. I was going to say, and that gets to be okay, because I think also, too, I would say 
people who've been socialized, people who with vaginas, how we've been socialized is often to be caregivers at any cost. You have to martyr ourselves. I, so I, I've heard this phrase, you know, set yourself on fire to keep other people warm. Yeah, that's it. And I said, when you set yourself on fire to keep other people warm, it just makes you ash. Yeah. <laughs> and then the fire's gone and no one's warm. No one's warm. I have a phoenix tattoo on my foot because phoenixes rise from the ashes. Like, I'm not going to be out here ashy for y'all. Yeah. You know? And so, and also, like, to be able to teach about pleasure, I have to be able to access it for myself. There are times when I can't. I taught a workshop and I was going through a whole bunch of stuff. And it was a video. It was on Zoom. And the, the people, I call my community the Goody Gang, right? So the Goody Gang was in there and they were like, are you okay? Like, do we need to do this a different day? These are people that have paid. And they were like, you got, you know, they were like, they were like, it's in your eyes. Like, are you okay? Like, can we, if you need to do this a different day, we can. And I was just like, yo, like, and it just made me want to power through even more to just kind of show up for them. But like, it was, it never, I am never not amazed by how people show up for you when, you, when you're being genuine in your effort. Yeah. Well, and becomes so reciprocal, which is beautiful. There is that this this care that happens that's reciprocal as opposed to one person burning themselves on fire and the others. I also think too, though, the body that I have, right? Being in a fat body and doing this kind of work, and it is kind of caregiver kind of work. It is kind of guiding and all of that. That mammy trope as a fat black girl. Oh, how does that show up? I think it shows up pretty, pretty smooth. I do. I think it is. I do think it shows up. Um, I think it helps people be comfortable with me. I, I think it helps make people more comfortable with me as a person to lean on for guidance and advice around their, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, I, I, and so it's worked to my advantage in a way, but also like then people can, some people have taken it too far. They think they can, you know, text me all time of day and night or email me and ask me all these things. And I'm like, it's a workshop for that. Go buy the workshop. And what I tell people, because my one-on-ones are $250 an hour, right? One for 90 minutes is stupid. And I think want to do one-on-ones immediately. I just need to talk to you about my sexuality problem. I, I have a problem with writing dick or I have a problem with blowjobs. I have a problem. Listen, I have a workshop for that. Buy the replay of the workshop. And if you still have questions, then book a one-on-one because you're going to spend this $250. On the content in the workshop. <laughs> when the workshop is right there and the, work, the replays are only 50 bucks. The replays are $50. To come for me in person is $75. So spend $50. And then, you know what I'm saying? And then what I do, if they book the workshop, then then the one-on-one is not $250. The work the one-on-one is $250 minus whatever the mm-hmm. whatever the replay was. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. So I try to be, you know, or I have I have like a um sex toy consult. Um, and the sex toy console, you know, it's a whole questionnaire that you answer. And then I show up to the Zoom with like some suggestions based on the answers you gave or what have you. And it's $100 and you get a $25 gift card to the website on top of that because I don't even know what you're buying. You know, so it's really, I guess, $75 because I'm giving you $25 at the site. But like it, it gives you an actionable item to where, well, damn, I spent $100 trying to figure out what toy I want. Yeah. And now I got to come up with some more money to try to buy the toy. So here's this. You know, but I definitely think the mammy shows up for folks. I'm sure it does. Yeah, I get, I get that. I've often felt that with just being in a fat body as being like less threatening in some ways. And maternal. And maternal. And, and it's like all maternals ain't good. You know, some, some mothers eat their young. 
<laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, before I forget, I wanted, because we were just talking about your website, um, and we'll include a code in the show notes for this, but I believe you, do you want to share what you're offering? So I am giving a 20% discount to the listeners of the Fat Joy podcast. The code is Fat Joy, and it's 20% off. And that discount applies to pleasure tools, which are sex toys. I say pleasure tools for the algorithm. Uh, it applies to pleasure tools, goody gear, and replays of the workshops. If I have a live, like I'm going on Rideology tour for 2023, if there's a live workshop happening in your city, this discount code does not apply to that. But it does apply to the replays, the goody gear, and the pleasure tools. Thank you for that. I'll include that in the show notes. That's very exciting. I was taking a look at the pleasure tools and the t-shirts, and I was like, oh, some things in there I would like. It's all kind of stuff. I love the Bluetooth. I love sex and tech. And the Bluetooth toys that you can control from anywhere. You know, it's funny. My partner and I tried that. I was very excited. We spent a good amount of money on it. And I was like, and it, for whatever reason, I don't know, maybe we've tried it again, but we tried it a few times and it just didn't. I don't know. It didn't work. It wasn't, it wasn't our flavor for some reason. Well, what kind of toy was? It? Can I ask that? Yeah, it was one of those. It was like a C kind of vibe. It was called Wee Vibe. That's not for everybody. The Wee Vibe. Yeah. That, that, mm, because there's an internal pressure, but then there's an external pressure. Like it's not just sitting on the clit. It's like pressing. Yeah. And the way it fits. Now, I will say one company, Laura DiCarlo, which they had an issue with a black creator uh, taking a black creator's stuff for the Met Gala. One of one of their board members, not that them specifically, but one of the board members had it was a whole thing. Um, so I, I would be remiss not to mention that as well. But they have a um, a a, a C shaped vibe, and it has like this as like a, a little flange on the inside that slides up and down, and you can control how far it slides. Like you can do a short slide or a long slide. You can show how fast it slides, and the top part has like a clit sucking thing. But with and it's not a cheap toy at all. But you get a free fit interview with an actual person at the thing. Because this is the thing. Bo bodies are different. And like, and even like labia are different, which I find is a thing. Clit size. All of it. What if your clit is pierced? If you just have a hood piercing, if you have a, like all, all of the stuff, right? So I love that they, they, they sent me one for free and I got to experience like the fit. Uh, I had the fit interview and like they talked to you via Zoom and everything. But they teach you like how to stretch it open and how to like... So I did feel very seen in that regard. It's not a it's not a cheap toy, but it's a great it is a great toy. Um, but the ones that I the Bluetooth toys that I sell on my website are I love them because they're not size dependent. So you know how they have vibrating panties. I hate actual panties because they're not size inclusive. I love the little panty inserts. Oh, yeah. So it's like a so it's a panty insert with like a little uh, magnet in the back to keep it in place, and you can use that with the app. Oh, that just sounds very sexy. <laughs> you know, there's a stroker that is a, you put your you know you put the penis in it and it strokes, and you can control that with the app. Like you can control how fast it strokes, how slow it strokes, all of that. Nice. There's a vibrator and stroker combo, to where if I have this vibrator and let's say I'm putting it in my mouth real fast, yeah, the speed of my stroke will be matched by the stroker. So we could be on Zoom and I could have this, this dildo in my mouth. Like I could have this vibrator in and out of my mouth. The stroker is going to match exactly how fat, like crazy, right? All of the things. Um, there's a Lovence. There's a egg kind of thing. 
that you can it you can do the app it also has a like hand controls and you can sync it to music that's kind of fun i mean and so the thing is i love those kinds of toys because they are body universal right and and i love using remote control toys for oral sex because if you're wearing something your partner can control while you're performing oral sex on them i have i have remote control cock rings because if people think remote control, they just think, you know, vulva toys. Absolutely. Absolutely co- remote control cock rings. And even like the panty insert, a person with a penis can wear the panty insert and put it like right behind the, oh my God, right behind the balls or right in front, between the balls and the dick, right right in the front part. Oh. So like there's, because sex, what I love about sex toys is they don't have an orientation or a gender. You just play, like truly play. Just play. And so I love adding uh, sex toys to coupled sex. I love adding sex toys to oral sex. The wand is a great one, especially for bigger bodies, because you don't have to be able to reach all the way down to your genitals. You just hold the end of the wand and then use the other end. Um, and again, the remote toys. The remote toys are great for limited range of motion. It's great for you know if you can't really just reach your genitals in that way. You know, and so I say assistive tech. You know, sex toys are assistive tech. So that's great for people that use wheelchairs. It's great for people with limited range of motion. It's great for, um, you know, our vintage folks, you know, our golden folks, you know. And so it's really a great way for us to start to see sex toys as assistive tech and see that how they can help us, you know, rewrite our pleasure scripts as our bodies change. Yeah, my my connection to pleasure changed dramatically when as I was only an adult, I was very much into my adult years before I discovered, I don't know, and maybe just kind of I had all kinds of uh, belief systems around sex toys and, you know, stuff that is, I think, unfortunately, quite commonplace. I'm in my early 40s, so it was just never something that was talked about or explored. And then when I discovered sex toys, I was like, whoa. Why have I been missing this? I started selling sex toys in 2007. I didn't start using sex toys until 2005. So I was selling them, but I wasn't using them. And I was like, I finally used one. And I was like, yo. <laughs> what was my hang up? <laughs> I mean, it wasn't even that. I just wasn't, it just, eh, it's product. Yeah. Oh, I see. You mean product. Yeah. And then I was oh. like, wait a minute. You know, and so it just, it looks real different when you, when you get high on your own supply, I guess. But I mean, I was just like, yo, this is, this is a game changer. So, I mean, I think we do definitely have, especially with bigger bodies, we have definitions and, and scripts in our minds and socialization about the kind of pleasure we deserve, about the kind of partners we deserve, the kind of relationships we deserve, um, you know, who's gonna, who's gonna want us all like, People conflate fat and desirability on a daily basis. Oh, constantly. On a minute-by-minute minute basis. Diet culture has taught us that we're not desirable unless we are in close proximity to whiteness and thinness and heteronormativity. And yep. and, and, and you can't even be taken seriously or attractive as a fat person without performing a femininity. That's the thing, too. Yeah. Like, so even if you are fat, you got to be super feminine, dressed in heels all the time. Well, and it's like playing that good fat. Right, that per- like you said, that performance, yeah, yeah. And I, it's 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 weird. I actually was on a podcast. Um, it's called "Express Yourself, Black Man." We were talking about uh, the difference between a partner and a husband. And I say a husband is a liability, and a partner is an asset. <laughs>
this one man was in the comments because he just showed a snippet, you know, and he was like, you're, you're saying I'm a lot, I'm a million dollar earner. I'm not a liability. You're, you know, health is, is, is key in my, in my relationships. And if you're not healthy, you don't deserve a relationship, which I knew he was, what he was getting at, but he didn't say it. And then I was like, well, you, there are different ways to be a liability. You know what I'm saying? Having a bad attitude is a liability. Going out of your way to try to disrespect somebody you don't know is a liability. Uh, I'm sure your wife is embarrassed lately. Like, <laughs> and so I didn't say that, but, you know, but I did say the liability part. He was just like, well, you're overweight. That's a liability. And I was like, to some, you know, but you, how are you going to determine that? I, I'm, I show up mad different than you. And I, if I was to marry your wife, she'd probably be happier. <laughs> but I didn't have to say that. People got in the comments and was like, you're proving her point, dude. You know what I'm saying? But people, the first thing they want to do is assume you're not healthy. Then he was like, they just let anybody talk about relationships. She probably don't even got nobody. Da, 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 da. And people were like, yo, she's married as fuck. Like, because obviously I'm this fat, undesirable. Right. Who would want you? Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, sir, first of all, I'm cute. First and foremost, I'm cute. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he wasn't even cute. He was muscular. He was not cute. And I have theories about people with muscles and penis erection quality. Because <laughs> <laughs> muscles require a lot of blood flow. And so if all your blood flow is in your muscles, there's not enough left for your erection. That's very interesting. Huh. And that's been my lived experience as well because muscle head, like gym rats, love me because I'm a soft place to make. And so um, I refer to the time period before I got married is back when I was pimping. Yeah. <laughs> and um, back when I was pimping, the gym rats loved your girl. Okay. And these muscular men did not, they was more pickled than pipe. And I just felt like maybe it was because they skipped leg day. Um, you know, but it's, it's, you know, it's interesting to see how people want to try to discredit, devalue, and disrespect you based on your size and your their perception of your worthiness, attractiveness, and value. Yeah, 100%. And in this work, as a sex educator, don't nobody want to hear about sex from somebody they, didn't want, that, that, that they don't think is having sex or that nobody would want to fuck. And so sex ed is a beauty brand. Yes, it is. And a beauty brand is inherently fat phobic. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you. What we started out with was like, yeah, that we, you, I feel like from what you've shared, even you've, you've always been representing. I always had, even if it wasn't on purpose. It was because <laughs> you wanted to just live your life and you just did it as you are. Yeah. It just happened to be that it went well. But I mean, like, I just, I've always been this person. I think I've become a more, uh, polished, holistic, expanded version of myself. The evolution is constant. But I've always been this person. And I mean, and I wasn't always, you know, I haven't always been the fat friend, but I've always been thicker, you know. And and in high school, looking back, I wasn't fat. I didn't even have back rows yet. Mm -hmm. But she was just like, no, ma'am, not a 14, sure won't, you know. And so it was just, it's always been something, you know what I'm saying? And so you're... Uh, People are always going to have things to say, you know, uh, and it just, I feel like ha having a fat body, it gives people like an immediate thing to say. They don't have to work as hard to feel like they can come for you. But when fat is not an insult anymore, then they don't have anything else to go on. Oh, I hate that you're so positive. I hate that you're so intelligent. Your sense of humor is ridiculous. I, you know, like, what are you going to do? Like, if that's all you got. I, you know, 
Well, Goody, I want to ask you, I always close the podcast by asking how you stay connected to joy. So how do you stay connected? I don't know. Honestly, I think it's the little things. It doesn't take much to make a happy person happy. And I honestly don't know. I can't even pinpoint how I connect to joy. I make it. I, I, I don't know. I honestly don't. And I, I was talking to my friend about this and I was like, I don't know what I do to connect to joy. I just have to, it's the little things, you know, it really, really is. And I look at the fact that I'm able to live my dreams every day. When, even when I get overwhelmed and I feel like I'm struggling, people are like, I have an amazing community and I get random text messages like, you're killing it. I'm so proud of you. And I'd be feeling like I'm dropping all the balls. I'm like, this is what you've been working for. This is what you've been manifesting. This is what you've been praying for. The problems that you got now, you know? And so I think it keeps me centered in gratitude. And that's what helps. Like I forget sometimes and I have my moments. I think we all do. Um, but I just remind myself, listen, the problems that you have now, you wish you would have. You were praying for this. So what you going to do now? And that's, that's how I was raised. What you going to do about it? That's that practical piece of you. Yes. I'm not, a, I'm not a help projecting complaint. And it's like, what's going on? Okay. It's what you're going to do about it. Like I'll, even if I have a bad day, okay, you get 24 hours to be in your feelings about this and let's go. You got to tighten up. Like you can't, <laughs> you know, this, this is not who, this is not what we're going to do, you know? And so I, but I don't know, I find joy in so many things. I feel like that's a core tenant of the, like that when you talk about sensual intelligence and the deep presence of that and like just experiencing the world like that, I, I, I feels like that is, that's, that's a grounded, joyful way to live. So you're kind of always connected to it great joy and excitement and I like I said it doesn't take much to make a happy person happy my aunt calls me a cheap date <laughs> yes <laughs> so I'm a cheap date she brought me back a keychain with my name on it <laughs> I love shit with my name yeah and she brought me back a key you would have thought she brought me back a diamond ring <laughs> she was like you are such a cheap date I was like you thought about me and you bought me right that you knew I was gonna love it's beautiful <laughs> like you know I'll be a cheap date all day <laughs> oh goody it is such a joy i feel like we're gonna have to have another conversation on the podcast because there's so many more things i want to talk to you about and i'm just i'm so grateful you said yes to being part of this conversation and i just i'm so in awe and oh the work that you do is so important it's so important so thank you for doing it thank you very much because sometimes you feel like you're just shouting in the void you know Yes, I do. <laughs> and then, like, the world doesn't value sex education because they don't see how pivotal and revolutionary it can be. No. Or maybe they do, and that's why it's so tempting. There's also that. So, <laughs> but you feel kind of like, it does feel kind of siloed. It does feel kind of lonely sometimes. Or not. I have great community, so maybe not lonely, but it feels like it's not amplifying. It's not making the impact. that the, As big an impact. Yeah. And so I appreciate that. Thank you, Goody. We'll talk again. Yes. Before we go, I'd like to read a poem because poetry can reach our hearts in a different way. Poems can have us feel in a different way. 
And that's what this podcast is all about, expanding our hearts, deepening our empathy, and inviting in joy. So each week, you get a new poem. This episode's poem was shared with me by my dear colleague, Asifa, who sent it to me on the same day I recorded this episode with Goody Howard, and it just felt completely meant to be. This is the perfect poem for my conversation with Goody as it explores body and pleasure with boldness and truth. This poem is called The Body as a River, and it's written by Alexandra Krivicki Kramer. And here it is. I remember when I learned my body is a river, in some places a whisper, and in others louder than the groans of a cut tree. Clear, roiled, demure, expansive. Fed by rain, adored by roots of ferns. In late summer, wildflowers bloom along my edges. And in winter, I learn to live beneath the superficial. I can hold a landscape on my hip, a valley in the crook of my arm, safe, swaddled, and warm. Oh, how free I felt when I welcomed impermanence and gave this body the grace to transform. Thank you for joining me today. My hope is that you're feeling a little less alone and a little more seen. So until the next episode, you can find me on Instagram at fatjoy.life, on YouTube at youtube.com slash at fatjoy, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash fatjoy. Please do check out the show notes for how you can connect with my amazing guest and for the links to the poem. All right, lovely. I am sending you off with my best wishes for an abundantly fat joy day. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye-bye.